you're listening to Cooper Talk. Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. I got to tell you something, people. This morning, I woke up and I looked in the mirror. And you know I'm bald, but I'm growing hair. My hair has been growing out on the side because of the pandemic. And I put on some weight. And I looked in the mirror and I said, holy crap, I look like a young Ed Koch. And it's not cool to look like Ed Koch if you're not the mayor of New York. Anyway, we have a great show today. My guest, uh, my guest was on five years ago, five years ago in the studio in Burbank, and you know he's been working ever since. He's been working forever. He's a great actor, and my guest is Paul Ben Vicker. How you doing, Paul? I'm good, Steve. Five years. Wow. I know, isn't I it? Cr- like it was like a year ago, man. Time flies when you're getting old. I know it's crazy. So now, now, how are you holding up, man? You know. L.A., you're in L.A., what's it like? Because, you know, New Jersey, we're wearing masks everywhere, the cities are empty. What's L.A. like right now? Well, Steve, I'm I'm very lucky, you know, I have to say, I'm, I'm up here in, uh, up in a canyon out by a very pretty part of the of, of town out by Malibu. It's called Topanga Canyon, and what can I tell you? You know, it's, uh, I, I've been hunkering down here, I haven't got out much, but there's, a lot of a lot of home fixing to do, you know. So I've been up on the roof. I've been down in the basement. I've been there with, you know, trying to do some plumbing, electrical, putting up a fence. So it's been a great time for some home improvement. I got to tell you. So I, and I enjoy doing that. So I, I'm I'm not complaining. My mom, she's in Greenwich Village in New York City, in a one bedroom apartment, you know, 400 square feet. She hasn't left in almost three months. I talk to her at least once a day. She she's. I feel for her and anybody else who's going through the uh, the rough times, you know. Of course, anybody. Let me just put a shout out to everybody who's who is on the front lines. People who are, you know, just watching all this devastation. My heart goes out to you, and I support every one of you. So, uh, I have a fan. I have a, I have a niece. I have a cousin who's been right there giving people, oh, just just terrible terrible things she's going through. She's a, a nursing people, and I have a. a uh, another a nephew who's a doctor. He's he got the damn virus. They took him off, you know, uh, service. And then the day he got better, he was right back on the front line. These young people have seen the worst of it. So, but I personally uh, can't complain, Steve. So I, I'm, I'm, you know, again, I could only be supportive. I can't. I'm not here complaining at all. It's been fine for me. Now, 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 how did you end up in Topanga Canyon? You're you're a city guy, man. Aren't you from Brooklyn? I mean, how did you end up out in Topanga? <laughs> you know, the day I stepped foot out here in the late '80s, I said, "This is for me." The air was dry. I stopped sneezing. Air pollution in New York, you know, it didn't agree with me. It was in the summer. I got off the plane. I said, "This desert air, whatever it is, I'm I'm loving it." So. Uh, you know, uh, and that, however many years I was in the city, the Brooklyn kid, with the snow and the traffic and the air pollution and the craziness and fighting and nuttiness, I, I was done with it. So I'm, I'm I'm a country boy now. I got you know I got my my boots and my hat and gloves and uh, a hammer and a tool shop. I'm I'm happy. Now, how did I've been you... making. I've been making birdhouses. You need a birdhouse? No, man. But okay, so how'd you get into that? I mean, that's like, it's like my brother. My brother lives in Manhattan, but he has a place out in the Catskills. And he, like, gets, makes syrup. And I'm like, what the, you, you live in Manhattan. What are you making syrup for? How'd you end up making birdhouses? <laughs> oh, man, that's funny. Yeah, I would like to have, tell him I'd like some of that syrup. I'm a syrup guy. Um, 
what was it? My fiance who's out here. She's came, she came out here right after the craziness started. So we've been hunkering down here together. She she wanted a birdhouse for one of the gardens that we're putting together for her. So I made it. I I make things. I I, I you know I I make little. Uh, I got into building, doing some collage construction artwork a few years ago. Uh, so. That's always, I've always been into construction. I helped build houses when I was a kid. I was, construction is something I like to do. I'm, a, I'm pretty handy. So that's how, man. Birdhouses, I started whipping together some birdhouses with some old vintage wood that I got lying around. So there you go. Now, if you could make me a squirrel house. Um, we have lots of squirrels in my backyard. They always come up and they sit on my damn porch. And I'm afraid they're going to eat the table. If you can make a squirrel house, I'll take it. I'm afraid what you would do to the damn thing. I ain't, I ain't making you nothing. <laughs> so, okay, so you're, you're, you've been in construction. You like to build stuff. How the hell did you get into acting? Well, it goes back to construction. I was at Carnegie Mellon years ago when I was doing, I was in the uh, construction. I was building sets, and I wanted to get into designing sets. That's what I wanted to do. That's what I did in high school. I built and designed these sets for some of the musicals we did there, and... I was building sets, and they were doing a play called uh, Short Eyes by Miguel Pinedo. It was a, a bunch of uh, jail, two guys in jail. And they needed, you know, some tough guys, and I was, they needed a Puerto Rican guy to play Juan, and I was the closest thing. Everybody else at Carnegie was from, you know, Minnesota and Ohio and Los Angeles. I was like, uh, yeah, I could, I could be, I could be Puerto Rican, you know, and I Oddly enough, I've played a lot of Latinos since, but uh, that's what happened. You know, I got recruited to do a play, and then and then uh, it felt good. It came a lot. It came easier than doing the, the light plots and all that design stuff I was doing. It just uh, came a little more natural to me, and and I loved it. And that was it. I had this like euphoric, you know, realization that I was, oh my god, I'm going to be an actor and. What the heck, you know, I've been kicking and screaming ever since trying to, trying to, you know, trying to get the next job. It's, it's, been, a, it's been a great run, and but also, uh, you know, a lot of ups and downs, but it's been great. I want to talk about your earlier career, but I also want to talk about, you were in um, The uh, Irishman. Now, how did that yeah. come about? I mean, as, as an actor, to know you're going to work with such a stellar cast and, a, and an amazing director, how did that come about? How did you feel going on set for that? Well... It was, it was nerve-wracking. And I was sitting there with uh, uh, Ray Romano, and we're sitting there pinching ourselves. We get on set, he goes, oh my God, oh my God, there's Al. Oh my God, there's Bobby D. Oh my God. And I'm saying, what are you doing, man? You're Ray Romano, calm down. <laughs> He's like, no, 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 I haven't slept in a week. I haven't slept in a week. And I'm like, dude, get a hold of yourself. You know, but we were both shaking and pinching ourselves. He literally was standing next to me, like, grab me, grab me. I said, come on, man. And I was, we were both freaking out. But what happened was a year earlier, I think it was, I had done, I, uh, I had done a, uh, on HBO, I did Vinyl, the series Vinyl, which Scorsese directed and, you know, created. So, um, he created, but he directed it. And so I, I met him there. And so when it was time for this, Irishman to come around he found that little part for me and that's what happened I got a call just to show up which was incredible you know so there I was on set with those guys I worked with De Niro on Grudge Match 
Stallone and uh, Kevin Hart a few years earlier. And uh, the highlight of my day was when between takes, De Niro looks at me and I'm looking at him and I'm looking at him and he's looking at me and he goes, grudge match, right? I said, yes, that was, <laughs> yes, I can't believe, thank you for remembering and you were incredible and that was like my highlight. He actually remembered that I was in it, but that was an exciting moment. But I hadn't worked with uh, Pacino. I had done, I'd done a little table read, you know, we, where people, actors get together and read a script. So I'd done that with Pacino, but I'd never actually, you know, had a scene with him. So that was, was a thrilling day. And we had a nice connection because we talked about uh, one of the movies he made called Looking for Richard, about Richard III and uh, Shakespeare. And we uh, started talking about some of his little or move, smaller indies that he'd done that I, I knew about because I have this cool collection, this little box set of Pacino movies that kind of rare. Not a lot of people have that. And we, it was, he was, you know, he was, thankful that I had had that, you know, we got, we've talked about that. So it was, it was an absolute thrilling day and I'm, I'm still uh, honored to have had the opportunity to, to do that with those guys. Now as an actor, what drew you to Pacino? I mean, you know, we all have like, you know, people like music, certain influences. Was it because you're both from New York or, or what made you a, a huge Pacino fan? Um, I saw American Buffalo in the probably, I don't know, 70s, mid to late 70s. I, I don't know that play that he did, a, a, you know, a David Maddox play called American Buffalo. And I remember it to this day. And I knew who he was. You know, I'd seen Dog Day Afternoon or whatever, you know. But, excuse me, I remember seeing American Buffalo and he comes storming out uh, from backstage. He busts through this, this door that must have been built like a house, you know, like, kicks through it, and he, you know, in classic Pacino styles, just starts can like a cannon, just exploding on stage, this little guy, and I, every, you saw the entire audience just shift from relaxing in their seats, I, I remember seeing the whole audience just go, boom, like forward, like, you know, like you're watching, you know, uh, a high wire act, you know, and I just said, this was unbelievable, it was and I just connected, I guess, with him and that character. And I always wanted to do that character, um, which I'd worked on in like class and stuff like that, workshops, and never played it in a play or anything. But that's what did it. I think, you know, I, that moment watching him do uh, Teach, the character of Teach in American Buffalo, blew me away. And that, that's, that was my Pacino moment. Then I also saw him, I think, it was before or after, but I saw him the night after he won the Tony Award for Pablo Hummel, which is another play. And he was remarkable in that. You know, he just, he has a bit of a genius quality to just make language, make dialogue sound so unique and out of his voice, out of his mouth. And it was just that ability that he had that I, I just tried to imagine doing and I thought, hmm, that would be a wonderful sort of thing to be able to acquire to try to do. It's almost like, hey man, like you, you watch Hendrix play the guitar for the first time, you go, I, I'm a musician, I'd love to try to jam like that, you know, to make those sounds happen. So it was it was very musical for me, the way the way he sounds. A, a lot of those guys are they're almost they're almost instruments in my head when I listen to Pacino, De Niro do certain things, and 
guys, Anthony Hopkins. So, um, but yeah, Pacino, you know, and he was, he was amazing. Did you see any of those early movies like uh, Panic the Needle Park or? Oh yeah, oh, yeah. Straw Dogs, Straw Dogs. Straw Dogs, you know, uh, you know, before The Godfather, he was just, you know, he was, he, he's a, it's very musical, very special, very special talent he has. I was drawn to it. Now it's it's funny, it's funny you mentioned uh, vinyl and I rem- I watched that show and I remember I think when you recorded Cooper Talk that you were about to go shoot that or it had already wrapped and that was a really good show and of course Ray Romano was in that also what is it like for you when you when you're on a show like that that you know it has such a powerful team behind it it's on, on HBO and all of a sudden it gets canceled and it was good you know I'm a Bobby Cannavale you can't go wrong with I mean it, was, it had a great cast as an actor what is it like when you sit there and you're you're playing you, you know it's like I refer to like playing baseball you're playing with with you know really solid players what's it like as an actor when all of a sudden that stops that show gets stopped do you get pissed off like what the hell are they doing <laughs> it was a range of emotions but I, I first you know the fact that you uh, made the comparison to sports to baseball I've always said that you know I feel like um, acting who's calling me it's my audio guy gotta call him back uh I always feel like it is kind of like sports, you know. Uh, the more you get out there on the court, the more you, the more you shoot those foul shots. You just, you know, if you're watching Jordan's The Last Dance, he just worked harder than everybody, you know. So I, I, I'm going off your question a little bit, but you know, I always equate sports to acting a little bit. Just get in there, prepare, more repetition, do it over and over again. See where your body goes, see where your mind goes, see where your talent takes you. In those words. But what it was like for vinyl, it was it's like a kick in the... Can I use it to drop F-bombs here? I don't know. Oh, yeah, what yeah. Sure. I, you, you can say whatever you want. It's a kick in the fucking gut, man. It's like somebody takes you and kicks you hard right in the stomach because you did. We had Scorsese directing it. Mick Jagger was an executive producer with his production company. HBO. I mean, we were in New York shooting this. And I remember the transpo guys, the uh, you know the, the Teamster guys. They, they they you know they run the show in New York. They're they're, they're great guys, and they 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 sort of have a uh, their their finger on the pulse, you know. And they they were like, man, this is going to go five years. You guys are set, and we were everybody was excited about it. And then what was happening was I think HBO's uh, higher ups were getting changed and fired there was a two or three flips happening and uh some new guy came in i forget who it was i don't even know if it's the same guy who's still up there now but i don't i haven't been on top of that but didn't you know the numbers weren't what they wanted or whatever it was they said no it's gone and they just yanked the carpet out from under us so it's it's a kick it's a kick right in the gut you get nauseous and uh i mean i've done a bunch of pilots that haven't gotten picked up in the past. And over the years, you know, usually it used to take about two weeks. You just stay in your room and, and moan and cry. Then a year later, it happens again. It takes about three or four days. And then by now, it's like 24 hours, you're over it. You know, all right, that's the business, you know. So um, it was a bit of a it was a bit of a shock. It was a bit of a rough day, I have to tell you, to, to get canceled out of that. But you know, move on, on to the next one. But, you know, I think about it, I think about it a lot. 
It would have been a nice few years, and every you're right, the cast was great. I love Cannavale. I like I like the show, and I don't watch a lot of TV. I thought it was great. I enjoyed you know the whole rock and roll uh, aspect of it. That's what I loved about it because I'm I'm a big music guy, and uh, and it was great because you know you sit there and then people were like would be like oh yeah that happened actually at this club and the club scenes and it had that raw New York you know New York Dolls type feeling going. And that was cool. And we don't see that. You know, you think about it, you don't see the music industry really portrayed in TV. It's always like, you know, a movie or you know, it's a love story, but you never really see the music portrayed. And that showed the, what the record executives are. Because back then, the record companies were crazy. They were nuts. And I, my character was based on, uh, you know, a bit of a mob guy. I think a Jersey mob guy. I forgot it based on the guy's name, but he was a nut job. You know, he used to, he used to walk around with a base. He had a crew of guys, his baseball bats, and, it's, you know, if uh, if you question him, he, 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 you didn't. People said they stayed away from him, you know. So, yeah, the, the, it was, uh, he, the, the music business was a little crooked with guys like that, and uh, it, was, it had a lot of, it was very colorful, let's just say that, back in the day. Very colorful people. And the and the and the TV show was um, kind of uh, you know it was kind of a, an expressionist uh, you know portrayal of the industry. It wasn't exactly on the money. I remember the, the Elvis episode. Remember the Elvis one? I'm not we, sure. Oh, it was great. I mean, you know, but it showed a piece of them but it was almost more was like a almost like a, an expressionist painting it wasn't like right on the money it was just a uh you know like you know a, a version of it that was just very interesting i loved the show i i thought it was great and some episodes were better than others but uh talent was great i i, I was really looking forward to doing it and uh had a great role and there you know that happens if somebody doesn't like it somebody Who's uh, who's got the power? They just they yanked it. And I remember Scorsese. I had heard from Rick Yorn, who's Scorsese's uh, partner and manager, and I ran it to him, and he said, "Yeah, Marty was telling him just give him another season, just try it out. I'm telling you, this thing's gonna gonna catch on." And uh, you know, they didn't they didn't they didn't go for it. But hey, HBO's been very good to me. I've been on HBO probably. As much as anybody, if not more, I've, I've done a bunch of shows for them, so I've been uh, very fortunate, and I'm not gonna, not gonna again. Can't complain. Now, now, tell me about. I know you. Now, tell me about when you, this is funny because it's going back to years ago when you played Mo in the Three Stooges. How? Did, I mean, that's just amazing because everyone, everyone, like you know, we're we're around the same age. Everybody loves the Three Stooges. You know, we grew up watching that shit. What was it like going for an audition for Mo? Well. It was an interesting story because um, I'd worked with the director uh, in a guest star of something years before, and so I get called in to do this. And I, I was, I had heard that a lot of guys wanted to do it. Some big names were trying to get in there to play the role. You know, a lot of a lot of guys in town wanted to play. No, who wouldn't, right? So I. I, I have a handful of wigs, you know, in a, in, a, in a box in my closet. I don't wear them as much as a lot of guys, a lot of bald guys who wear them a lot more often. I'm not going to mention any names. That would be indiscreet. 
you know, could wear them all the time. But uh, so that night I pull out this wig, pull out a bunch of them, and I pulled out this one. And I stuck it on my head. I said, oh, shit, this thing, I got to cut this $3,000. I spent three grand making this wig. I said, I got to cut this damn thing. Damn it. I took a scissor and I cut it into the mo haircut, you know, the bowl cut. Right. And I looked in the mirror and I just went, you know, what's the matter with you? Scram, beta, you know, like that. I went, and nobody ever does mo. They always do curly. Everybody always imitates curly, right? You know, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they always do that. So I looked in the mirror, I said, and I started doing the lines with the wig on. I said, man, you, you, you could, I, I said, you could get this thing. You, you might, you have a shot at this. And I felt it in my gut. And I knew I knew the director. Casting folks were, were people that I'd known. I believe they'd cast me before a couple of times. And I went in and there was this very emotional scene between uh, Mo and his brother, you know, Howie, uh, uh, Curly where Curly has a stroke and he goes into the hospital, Mo goes in and he has to talk to him and I, I got all choked up during the audition and everybody started crying and I left and I think I got a call that day or the next day. They were like, you're the guy. And um, that's how it happened, man. Oh, and then I was off to Australia. We shot that in Australia. And I was there for two months in Sydney, Australia and it was some of the best two months ever and I'd worked with, you know, Chickless, Michael Chickless was Curly and we had done we still, we've done a million things together. I met Evan Handler on that. We became good friends, and uh, it, was, it was great. It was a really fun time. Now, it's funny, you know, when you, when you look at your career on IMDb, you know, in the early days, you constantly worked. But if you follow it, you know, you did, a, you know, you did some guest spots here. But you know, was your first full series, The Invisible Man? Because, you know, you, you constantly worked. But what was that? Was that your first big series? I think it was. Um, I'd love to call it, but you know, if it was today, it would be a big series. We had great ratings back then. We were on sci-fi. This is before sci-fi and uh, a lot of the cable stuff, you know, it, it, it was, was mainstream. So, um, but yes, I think Invisible Man was the first one that went, like I said, I'd done, I'd done a few pilots, but this was the first one that got, picked up and gone to series yes yeah we did about i think about 50 of those episodes yeah we did them straight through i don't think we even had a break they just kept drawing scripts at us and we me and Vinny ventresca we had a blast in fact we're doing a i think we're doing a 20 year anniversary zoom in a few weeks in june with the cast and uh let's see what kind of uh, following response we get because it was it was incredible. This was before social media. And as soon as we were on, we were getting fan mail, like, internationally. I guess they spread it, you know, they, we were in a lot of, I think uh, over 100 countries. We were getting mail from everywhere. And it was a blast. It was a really good time. And, you know, we did a lot of, Vinny and I, we did a lot of improvisation together. So we became good friends. We still are. And uh, that was a good one. Now, now, as an actor, you know, it's funny. I always talk to different actors, and, and they have diff, they have the same take. It's like it's always the next job. And it's like for you, before you got that series, you had pilots, you had a movie, you had been on a lot of TV shows. You were successful. But it's just something that when someone doesn't, actors don't recognize that them constantly working is success until they actually get a series. Yeah, 
<laughs> um, yeah, I'm sure it's different for everybody, but yeah, I think it's as you. I mean, you talk to more actors about this than I do, probably. But yeah, you you um, waiting for that next job. Obviously, I, I you know I know guys that have uh, the past couple of years of you know some named guys who you know have had to sell their house because of uh, how the business has changed so much. But um, I don't know if it's the series. I don't know what it is. I think it's just, uh, I'm not sure what it is. I, th- I know over time, I mean, I, I, I'm at a point now where I'm happy. I, I just love, I lo- I, I'm very fortunate and very, very grateful to have had the 35 years that I've had, you know? So of course I want to go another 35, but um, this time off here during this crazy virus, it's been a little bit of a, 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 a sort of a, a, like a meditative break in a way because we can't go get that next job. I can't go in and fight for that next job or call my agent and say, what's going on? Am I going to get this? And, you know, can I, you know, am I going to get that meeting? Is that director interested? Whatever. There's, no, there's nothing I can do. So I could just kick back and really finally, like, let go for the first time in 30, literally 35 years of, like, I'm sure I'm not alone. A lot of people, you know, what's what we do? We go to work. You know, if you're a worker, you go to work, you work, you work, you work. And to try to, like, let go of that uh, angst, that need to wake up in the morning, you know, and get to the office and bring home the bacon and all that, you know, is it's been an interesting time for me. I don't have kids, so I'm very fortunate. I don't have to, my siblings, they have kids they put through college and, still trying to help support and all that stuff so it's it's I, I, I don't have that burden uh, good or bad you know <laughs> but so I've been able to sort of chill out and let go of that angst a little bit about that next job that, that feeling of am I gonna continue to be successful you know it's just been a time to sort of let go but the series you know here's what I was gonna say I, I didn't know it you know, I'm on this series making a really nice paycheck back then, and I'm still, I wish I knew, the wisdom grows over time, and I think it's guys like um, some of these younger actors, who, you know, the guys like DiCaprio, they have a wisdom in them at 15, 16, 17 years old, that I think maybe I'm getting some of that now, you know, like, they have a, a, a an understanding, an innate understanding of this business of how to take it all in, how to encompass it. There's a lot that goes with that star power that those guys have, with Brad Pitt's and a lot of the big stars, you know. Um, how to negotiate and the whole business, you know, navigate is the word I'm looking for throughout, throughout a career like this. It takes a lot. I was much different in my 30s and 40s, you know. I, I, was, I was more hot-headed. I mouth off to some people that I shouldn't have, you know, I wasn't terrible, I wasn't like some crazy maniac, but I wish I had kept my cool in a few other situations and also made some choices, uh, you know, with offers that came in that I didn't take and I wished I had, you know, so, uh, but I think we all go through that because there's no school for that. You could go to acting class all day long, but nobody, and the agents are good, but they none of them have, uh, you know, they're, 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 they're learning along the way with you. You know, most of them are probably my age at the time or maybe younger. You know, 
we're all just finding our way. There's no, there's no book. There's no school really to the business of acting or even agenting for that matter. You can't go to school and learn. You could be a lawyer. It's easy. I always tell everybody, you want to be an actor or you want to be a doctor? Easy to be a doctor. You go to school for 10, 12 years, you will have a practice after 10 or 12 years. You want to try acting for 10, 12 years, go to school, study, Juilliard, Harvard, I don't care where you go, Carnegie Mellon. You leave out of those schools, good luck. You could be waiting tables and you could never get an agent, a job or anything. So uh, there's the long answer. Now, now you said that the, the industry's changed. How has the industry's changed? Is it just the rate of pay? Is it the audition process? Is it because it's digital now and you don't really have to have... I don't, in my eyes, a lot of people say you don't really have to have the acting chops you're used to. In your eyes, how has the how has Hollywood and the acting business changed? Well, I think in many aspects that you just mentioned, um, big thing is I'd say about 15 years ago, you know, the, the, whatever happened, the corporations took over, and the bigger corporations sort of took over the studios, and it became. I mean, I used to audition for a TV show, let's say, in the, in the 90s, or even the late 80s, early 90s, mid-90s. And while I'm auditioning, I get back in my car out of the parking lot, and I would get a phone call in my car from the wardrobe department. Hey, Paul, it's uh, Joanne from NYPD Blue. We just want to get your sizes. I said, what are you talking about? Well, you know, you're playing... Uh, Sergeant Castellano, and this, that was actually L.A. Law, whatever. But, you know, you're playing, you're playing Sergeant Castellano. I said, I just got out of the audition. Yo, well, we need, your, we need your sizes. Today, for that same role, right, first of all, the writers want you. You're the choice. You now have to get approved by the studio, head of casting, studio has to approve you after then the network has to then the corporate i mean you got to go so far up the ladder you know your network approved your studio approved your this approved for you know nothing happens like that anymore generally i mean occasionally but mostly there's a whole sort of corporate um you know system that's in place now that you, that's much different from the old days used to go home and say hey can i buy that suit from, the, from, the, from my character, sure, give me, you know, give me, you used to buy a $500 suit, you give them half, you pay half, you get 50%. Now, you can't buy your suits anymore. You can't buy a belt. You can't buy a pair of socks. They keep everything, you know, they, they keep it because it's, it's part of their, um, uh, you know, their stable of, of clothes. What do you call that? You know, they, they keep it in a factory. It's, it's all, it's all corporate. Everything's changed. That's one sense. The other sense is, uh, you know, the stars get paid. Big stars get the, the you know, the lion's share of the, of the of the of the budget, the acting budget, and a lot of big actors, like big name guys that I've talked to, are like, man, yep, the stars, the big stars are getting the money, and we're all working for scale, which is, you know, the, the minimum. And uh, you, when you want to work, you got to get, you got to work for scale. So the whole negotiation uh, has changed. There's no more like, there's not a lot of negotiations. It's like this is the price, take it or leave it. And you're happy to do it because there's many guys lining up to. So you know the money's changed, and then um, you know the business uh, 
for whatever reason, is you know, there's a lot of uh, other aspects that have changed. You know, I, I, I talked to a, my accountant recently. He said he handles a lot of stuntmen, and the studios are saying, look, we need women. We need a lot of, we need all women. We need a ton of women to be in, in the stunt circuit now. Hire women stunt, stunt people. And, of course, there's diversity. So, you know, I've, I've, uh, I've lost some roles to, you know, for diversity. They want to go uh, whatever, you know, Asian, African-American, Latino, um, women. I've had roles that have gone, you know, it's called they love you, they love you up. They're going to make they're making it a woman. They're making that attorney a woman. I've also got a role that was written for women and then it became me. So that was that was a nice little twist. But yes, a lot of different aspects have changed the, uh, the you know, the nature of the business. Now, what, what's your take on live audition or taped audition? A lot of actors who've been around for a long time love the love the live audition. Because like Ray Abruzzo said, he wouldn't have got that part of The Sopranos if it wasn't for the live audition. He turned his head a certain way. What is your take on it? Do you like the live audition where you get in to see the producer, or do you like the tape better? Ray Abruzzo is the fun, one of the funniest guys I know. He's actually a very good friend of mine. Uh, if you're Ray Abruzzo, you want to be in the room. You want to go in, because if you're Ray Abruzzo, Ray, if you're listening to this, you're going to owe me dinner. A big, fat fucking steak, you bastard. He, he's so animated and so funny and so quick. You want he, he's, he's very unique. He's a very unique, funny guy. He's very, very quick. Very, very uh, witty, witty guy. So if I'm Ray Abruzzo, I want to go in the room too because I'm going to make people. I'm, I'm going to make them laugh no matter what. It could be the darkest drama in the world. He, he'll win the people over in the room. But um, you know, I've had some exceptional experiences when you go in and you have them in there, and you, it's, a, it's a very theatrical experience. You go in, especially when you're really prepared. You're ready to knock it out of the park, and you know you're going to do great. You've worked hard, uh, so. You know, for decades, you go in that audition room, it's literally like, you know, it's the Olympics. You know, you got, you got 10, 15 guys competing, ready to go down that, that you know, that 90-degree slope, you know, if you, if you, you know, if, if, you, if you will, you know, like it's the Winter Olympics and you're, and you're competing and you're looking for that 10. You, second place is bullshit. You got to win the role. There's no, there's no silver or gold or, or bronze. You know, you got, there's only only one role one 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 medal to get and that's the role you know what i mean so that's what it's like and it's you, your heart's pumping you got butterflies in your stomach and you go in and uh oftentimes there's three four five six seven people in there just waiting for you to you know win this or, or not you know and um it's exhilarating when you go in and you walk out and you go holy shit i just i just i know that was a 10 and even if you don't get it, you know you killed it, you did a great job. That's a great feeling. I did it for decades, I want to say 30 years, you know. Thank God, for me, most of that is over. Because the preparation that goes into going in the room, I would, you know, I get the script on a Thursday, my audition's on Monday, let's say. I would turn off my phone, lock myself in a room, and it's about preparation, and you know, and do that scene 
over and over and over and over again until Monday morning at 11 a.m. when I'd go in there and I was ready, you know, and I was ready to go in for the fight, you know, and and, and take this down and, and hopefully win the role. And I and I did many times, you know. But the work that that, that took out of me, and now they say, would you, would you rather just send in a tape? And I'm like, please, God, thank you. So I go in my little office here. I set up my camera. I do the thing. I work on it for an hour. I, I tape it for an hour or two, whatever, and that's the end of it. I don't. I didn't spend five days, you know, really, you know, closed off to the world, memorizing and memorizing and memorizing. I mean, you got to go in there. You don't want to look at your script. You want to be memorized. You want to be camera ready. It's like opening night, you know, for Broadway. You got to go in there that ready. And if any actors are listening, that's how you win roles, man. You got to go in there like it's, you know, it's opening night. There's no, you know, you know, there could be an earthquake and the show must go on. You got to be that prepared. And that's how we go in as actors. You just work your ass off. And I, those days for me are hopefully, you know, over. (laughs) You know, I don't mind going in once in a while, but. Most stuff I get a call these days, and they just say, please, you know, show up here, show up there. But occasionally I'll put myself on tape, and it's relaxing. You're hanging out, and you're off, and you just, again, that's the long answer. It's just, yeah, man, it's, I, I, yeah, going on tape is infinitely easier, and there's no nerve-wracking, memorizing, you know, you do the thing I use. Sometimes I put up little cue cards if I don't know the words as well as I want to, and it's, it's you do what you want. You know, you don't have that uh, that immediacy, that, that electricity, you know, that Ray Russo is talking about. Um, that's not there. But, uh, you know, hey, I got vinyl on a little iPhone tape that I sent in and Scorsese re- responded. And I uh, then I got called in for a callback, I think, and then... Like several months later, I got the job for vinyl, and, you know, but something, you know, Scorsese was able to see a little video and go, yep, that guy's, that guy's right, so. Now, you, you talked about HBO, and I know you're on a John from Cincinnati, and in The Wire, and, you know, The Wire, I, I've talked to a few actors from The Wire, I've talked to, uh, um, I can't think of his name, he was, he co-created, uh, The Deuce, uh, George, George Palancanos, who was a writer for The Wire, I believe. And we were talking sure about was. we were talking about what an impactful show is. For you as an actor, when you what season did you go on The Wire? I started in season two. We did I did ten of them and then I did seven more over season uh, season three and four. Now, did you know you were involved with something when did you know you were involved with something special? Like last week. <laughs> No, I say that because it's continued to be something special over many, many years. When we were doing it, it was great. Uh, it felt like sort of indie. It was like a very in, independent kind of world down there. It felt unique. It felt different. The scripts were wonderful, obviously. But it wasn't until... And then a year or so later, these I got a book of these reviews that were the, the most astounding reviews you could ever read on a TV show. But still, the show had didn't take off. People, it wasn't until like, I want to say two to three years later that 
fans were really, you know, finding out the power and the, and uh, you know and and how good the show was. And and then four and five and six years later, it became even more uh, intense. The reaction from people about the show, and to this day, it has nothing. It, it's only grown. So at the moment, the first few years, it was like, oh, you did a cool show, and some people in the city in Manhattan, they go, oh man, I'm watching The Wire. It was just like a New York thing, and now uh, it's it's obviously international. But now, you know, a lot of folks come up and just from all walks of life, all sizes, shapes, colors, from everywhere, going, wow, you know, you're 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 the Greek on The Wire, and uh, it's it's it's. To this day, the most, by far, the most uh, impactful project that I that I've ever been a part of, and I'm very fortunate to Pelicanos and um, Simon, you know, for putting me in that, and Alexa Fogel, the incredible casting director, producer, who, uh, who 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 offered me that part. I got offered that. I don't know how that happened, but uh, interesting story. <laughs> uh, it doesn't matter. I thought I was going to get fired the first day. Why? What happened? Well, I sent in my reel, you know, my demo reel that had True Romance on there and Tombstone and like old school stuff that I'd done. NYPD Blue. Maybe even, no, I don't even, yeah, I think Mo, Mo Stooges was on there, you know, my demo reel. And I show up on set. And the first day's going, and we're doing take after take after take. And I sense that they're not really, I'm not really nailing it yet. I'm not sure, because I'm doing this Greek guy with a little bit of an accent. I'm not sure what was going on, but nobody was talking, nobody said anything to me. We just kept doing it over and over and over again. And then, I think it was at lunch that day, um, you know, the creator, Simon, comes up to me, sits down, we're having lunch, and he goes, well, it was during the take, I forget, during the shooting, he says, you know, just, just do it like, like, you know, like you did for your audition. Or something like that. Do it like you did on, 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 the, on, your, on your reel. And I didn't say to him, dude, I didn't do no reel. <laughs> okay? So I'm saying to myself, he thinks... I'm somebody else. <laughs> he thinks they got the wrong guy. They got the wrong guy. And I'm not sure exactly what he said. Obviously, I misinterpreted what he said because I think I was the guy because I didn't get fired. But I remember going home that night, going to my hotel in Baltimore, and I called my attorney. And I said to him, I said, hey, Daryl, I'm probably going to get replaced. I'm the wrong guy. I'm not the guy. I'm telling you, they got the wrong guy. He said, Paul, relax. You're already, contract is signed. You're already, you're fine. I said, no, 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 I'm telling you. I'm telling you, I'm going to get a call tonight. I was convinced. And he tells me a whole story about when he got, he passed the bar, and he was sure there was a mistake. He said, I passed the bar. He, he couldn't believe that he actually passed the bar. You know, he said, so you go through the same thing. And I guess I did go through the same thing because I never got fired, but I was sure that I was not going to be returning the next day. And then I guess everything worked out, you know. But I, I had the best time doing that. And uh, 
you know, it was really a, an honor to be a part of a show of that caliber. Now, now, do you ever think about, you know, you were on Everyone, Everybody Hates Chris, and, you know, that's that's more of a comedy show. You always play such a heavy, you know, you play a character, you know, The Wire, you know, just a strong character, you know, whether it be a lawyer or a criminal or whatever. What is it like when you have to cross over to do comedy? Like, do you ever sit there and think, I know you're an actor, so you can do everything, but do you ever sit there and think, man, they're going to look at me like I'm, I'm the Greek from The Wire? <laughs> well... I think in the casting world, you know, you know, after a while, they, they, they start to get to know you. I think, well, it's a good question because, you know, you would hope that the business, the casting world, knows you from uh, comedies. You know, I remember I did House Guest with Sinbad and, and the late Phil Hartman and, uh, you know, wonderful actors like that. And that was a big, way over the top comedy. And then you go and do, I mean, actually, I've, I've lo I lost a job once because the casting director thought I was going to try to be too funny in it. And I, it's really one of those shitty stories. But, but you know, you know, again, it's like you, it's, you would hope that the business sort of sees you and knows you as a well-rounded actor. You could kind of do it all, you know, and so... Uh, Everybody Hates Chris was, man, I loved doing that. That was so, because they just kept winding me up. Go, go further. Go, I was like, this is too, I'm going way over the top on this. And they're like, it's funny, keep going. So, you know, I always say, it's just, I'm excited about the next job. Let's see if it's going to be a heavy job, drama. I got to kill somebody. I got to be a horrible, you know, misogynist of some kind, or I'm going to be funny and, to do some comedy I my instinct is is comedy I I love I'm dying to do a sitcom you know I would love to do a sitcom I did a couple of sitcom pilots that did again didn't get picked up but um uh, yeah I did a comedy with a uh, sitcom pilot with um on a wonderful young superstar actress her name is Casey right now but anyway yeah so I did you know, I'd love to do a, I'd love to do a, a comedy, man, because those are the best. You go in, you go in Monday, you're out by four o'clock. You rehearse Tuesday, you're out there by four or five o'clock. Wednesday, you know, Friday night, you're in front of the audience. It's like a little play. It's the best. I got to do uh, Will and Grace last last year, and uh, one episode, and it's just a blast, man. It's just it's. It's a really, really fun job, especially when you're with those kind of comic geniuses and watching them work. But that's something I would love to do one day. I would love to get a sitcom job if anybody's listening. You know? Yeah, you know, would be a blast. You know what's it's funny about Will, about Will and Grace? I don't watch it, but my wife watches it. And whenever someone's been on my show before, she'll be like, oh my God, hey, it's uh, Paul Ben Victor. And it's just funny because, you know, I always know what people are up to because cause I, I watch sports. Well, I'm not right now, but it's always funny. You know, she's like, oh, I, you know, so it's always, it's sort of a, she feels great about seeing people I've interviewed. <laughs> <laughs> now, she's, she's, a, she's, a, she's, a, she's supportive. That's great. Exactly. Now, tell me about, I want to hear about Tombstone. Tombstone, nice. Going back to the old days. I did a play 
Now remember, I told you I, I, I started at Carnegie. I, I played a Puerto Rican guy. When I got out of school, first thing I did was a play on the Lower East Side. Again, I think uh, me and Annabella Shiora were like the only people that went down to this, to Alphabet City down there, which was all crackheads. And it was like, you don't go down there. Now it's like a hip and trendy place to go, Third Street between B and C. And um, like around the corner from the Hells Angels were down there. It was just, you, you don't go down there. Unless you're looking to cop heroin, you know, or, or you're, you know, a pimp or some kind of scumbag. But we did this little play down there. And then years later, I get a play. It's, and I'm at Seattle Repertory Theater, played by Lyle Kessler called Robbers, and I'm playing Vinny. There's another Puerto Rican guy. And I do a very good Puerto Rican, a good New Yorker, right? I mean, I can sort of mimic it perfectly, right? Um, and so Kevin Jare, the dude that wrote Tombstone, comes to see the play because his girlfriend is in it. And it's, uh, yeah, his girlfriend is in the play. And um, after the play, you know, I got a goatee. I'm talking like that. I say, oh, yeah, Papi, how you doing, man? And I'm doing this New Yorker thing. And uh, he says, of course, he thought I was, you know, Latino. <laughs> and he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find something for you one day. Two years later, I get a call. He says, Paul, you're going to play Florentino Cruz in a Western called Tombstone. I said, okay, that's cool. And that's how it happened. I go down there, and uh, they put me in a wig, you know, and I got the bandito mustache and the scars and and this great costume, you know, and it was great. By the way, I would never get that role today. Those were the good old days when, you know, you didn't have to be exactly born that person to be that person in the movie. It's actually, you know which I find kind of crazy, but, you know, you know, I would never get, I would never be cast as a Latino guy these days, I don't think. It's, um, it's weird how it acting's weird. changed like that. I mean, it's weird because, you know, it is acting. That's what I always think. It's acting. You know, Marlon Brando played Asian. Roland Olivier played, uh, uh, you know, Othello, who was a black guy. You know, he was black in blackface, I think. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure I saw that many years ago. I mean, you know, and nobody thought anything of it. It's it's acting, exactly. And so now it's everything is politically correct. You, you know, you sneeze the wrong way. No, but anyway, um, yeah, you know, you like to be able to. It is acting. You like to be able to. I mean, but some people could do stuff. I could name some roles now. I won't. And and it, it, it's if it's a comedy. They get away with it. Like, oh, well, they could do that. They could do this, and but you can't do that. You know, it's 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 there's no rhyme or reason to it. It's a, it's a lot of it's kind of screwed up. But anyway, I played Florentino Cruz, and I was in uh, I was in that movie with all those great actors, and who I'm very good friends with to this day, Stephen Lang, John Corbett, and I became good friends over time, and uh, it was it was. It's a great time. I think I, I feel like I was there for three months. I want to say 12 weeks. And, you know, a bunch of the guys were like, you know, stayed in character and we'd go to bars and people would 
and chew, you know, chewing tobacco, and we were drinking and half drunk on set. It was, it was a good time. It was definitely a good time and a great movie. Now, you also, I just recently saw you on Law & Order SVU. What's it like when you go on a set that the show has been around for so long that you know the crew is probably just happy because they've probably been on the show for the whole time and they're going to get pension forever. You know, what is that like going on a set like that? Well, uh, what I do love about going a lot of the sets these days, especially, you know, New York sets, you know, again, after doing it for a lot of years, um, you get on set and the prop guy says, you know, uh, you know, I, in fact, <laughs> I went on a set recently. It wasn't it wasn't Law and Order, but it was some city. It was one of the producers. He goes, you know, I was a PA on Tombstone. I said, get out of here. The guy's fifty years old now. That's what twenty something years ago, or thirty. I don't know how many years ago, right? So you feel like you all came up together on this. So that happens a lot on every set these days. Somebody shot something, or somebody popped something, or a customer, or whatever it is, makeup. Producers, writers, you know, I've worked with somebody, usually a handful of guys. So on a set like Law & Order, you get there and it's like, hey, Paul, yeah, we just shot you. You know, we did vinyl with you. We did The Wire. I was the, I was the uh, second camera assistant on uh, Tombstone or, you know, or, oh, one of those guys may have been. Somebody told me recently that they were like a, a, a camera loader, like a, like a second AC, a camera assistant on true romance, you know, 20 years earlier. And now they're like the DP, you know, the director of photography. They're running the show. So that's generally what I I look forward to as much as going to do the role and working with the actors and seeing who I'm going to run into on set from, uh, from the crew. And they're always, always, always great guys. Now, now what do you have coming up? I mean, I, you know, it's because right now, were you in some shows that are getting... In pre-production or post-production, what's going on right now with you? Well, what just, let's see, what just, just, oh, um, a buddy of mine, speaking of DPs, the director of photography, did his feature debut called Blood and Money, starring Tom Berenger. And that just came out on, uh, I think, Apple TV last week. And I hear the numbers are doing great. It's his very first feature. He's he shot a bunch of movies, a ton of commercials. John Barr, his name is. And uh, that just came out. I've, you know, I, I have, uh, it was a small part. They flew me out to uh, Maine. We're in the snow. We had a couple, really couple of nice days. I was doing a play in New York at the time. This was a year ago. And so Blood and Money is out. Um, again, that's doing great. And uh, what else? Uh, I did... Uh, I did a movie, it was called Waldo, and I just looked online, now it's called something else, with uh, Mel Gibson and Charlie Hunnam. And I played a detective in that, and I think that's coming out in July, maybe? I'm not sure what they're doing with that. That's coming out. The Banker I was just in with, um, uh, oh, God. Getting old, my brain is fried. But I'm in the banker with uh, Samuel Samuel Jackson. I'm in that. I just came, and then I have another one called All Rise. Not to be confused with the TV show, 
back to something I'm really hoping is going to come out soon. Um, I think they're working on a deal. It went to Sundance. It did very well a couple of years ago. And now uh, and that's got everybody. Uh, uh, Jennifer Hudson. Uh, I can't remember everybody that's in it. But it was, it's a really, cool, really great movie. Really great movie. All Rise. And I have a really cool, uh, really tough Barracuda uh, attorney in that, prosecuting attorney. So that, All Rise, wait, let me think, wait, All Rise, Waldo, which is now something else, John's movie, there's something else. Oh, I did a little movie um, called My Brother's Crossing. Uh, it's got a Christian uh, tone to it, but it's a cool story, true story that's coming out. Got a wonderful cast. There's something else I forget. I can't remember. Graves. My, What's Gravesend? What oh, Gravesend. That's a little indie uh, TV show that got picked up. I think it's on Hulu or something. I play a, a you know a, a Don, a captain, you know, a mafia boss in that. And uh, what else? Uh, something. I don't know. We'll see. And I'm writing some stuff. Now, now, what do you, what do you see the future of acting right now? How long do you think it rebounds back, or do you think it's not? You mean because of COVID and everything? What's happening in the yes? Because of that? Because of that? I think it's with everything else, man. You know, when when I think in the next you know six months. Uh, well, what I've heard is that we're looking at six months. We're looking at September. August, September for productions to get back. But I heard it's going to be like, you know, you're going to have to get tested and make sure that, uh, you know, nobody, you know, obviously that everybody's safe and healthy before you get on set. So I think all the precautions are going to be, you know, intensified by, by a thousand. But I think once we're on set and everybody knows they're in safe company and people have obviously... I don't know, been cleared somehow, quarantine cleared. I'm not sure what, what kind of restrictions they're going to put on everybody, but um, but I'm, I'm guessing by, the, by six months to a year we'll be sort of back in the swing of things. I sort of, I, but I'm, I'm not one to ask. I don't know. I'm sitting up here, you know, chopping down, chopping wood. Yeah, when, when do you think you're, you're doing making birdhouses, you're living the, the domestic life there. When do you think you're going to really start missing being on set? Or do you already a little bit? Um, you know, like I said before, I'm in like a meditative relaxation mode where I'm letting go of all that for the first time. I'd say, oh, I don't know, man. Call me in, call me in like... Call me in like 45 days. Because <laughs> okay. I think another month and a half, I'm going to, um, I don't mind doing this. I just got to stay in shape and not get fat. I'm, I'm cooking too. I'm barbecuing the best steaks and chicken, Beyond Burgers. I should get paid for this. Exactly. You know, <laughs> I, you know, I get into cooking. It's, it's nice. I just got to keep working out. You know, I'm, I, like I said, I don't want to, you know, you know, boast or, or you know about it, but I'm I'm enjoying the time off of you know more like emotionally, you know, like that angst about that next job and call your agents. But when you're not on a series, and I haven't been on a series in a while, you know, it's it's the next job, it's the next job, and to not 
have to think about that for a few months is it's uh it's like a mini retirement it's, it's a relaxing feeling and um but you know when you get that next job again it's that win it's that number 10 going down the, it's that olympic win it's like i got the gold i want it i want it and uh there's nothing there's no better feeling than winning that winning that role knowing that that you know you were the choice it's a great feeling so i look when that happens it happens uh, i i'm not i'm not uh I'm not feeling the angst yet. All right. You know, well, yeah, man, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for taking the time today. You know, you're on the studio a while ago. And you got to accept my friend request on Facebook because I want to tag you when this episode gets posted. Um, now, <laughs> are, are you... I don't go on Facebook. I got a, I got a, a helper that helps me do this stuff. But I, and I just, I don't do social media. My, uh, I got, I, I, I mean, I do it, but I don't do it personally because I, People, people, go on to IMDb and look up Paul Ben Victor and just go watch his body of work. He's been working for such a long time. It just always kicks ass in what he does. So go check out Paul. Uh, check out my website, coopertalk.net. You can find over 795 episodes. Email me, cooper, at coopertalk.net. Follow me on Twitter, at coopertalk. Remember, I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guests. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins, and I'll talk to you guys next time. Thanks.